Oh, hello there, and welcome to a new episode of the Morning Star Journal. <laughs> Your host, Tariq Ruffin, will be with you soon to talk about a new entry in the book. Yes, Tariq, a marcher with, who is, who is marched with spiders and roofs, a connoisseur of the pop culture who's been to theaters, reader of books, and of those video games and other pop culture uh, relics. Yes, uh, today he will go over a book series uh, titled, I believe, The uh, Curse's Fury, as well as Captain's Fury. Uh, not to be mistaken with the Captain Marvel with Nick Fury coming out with next week. <laughs> I just. But with further ado, please take it away, Mr. Ruffin. <laughs> okay. So, uh, thank you for that little indulgence there. Um, my name is Tariq, and this is, of course, the Morning Star Journal, as I, <laughs> I don't know what, just, uh, figuring I'll do something random, I couldn't, uh, keep it up as long as I kind of wished, and I may have to, um, uh, figure out a new, um, script or something, or, uh, something longer I could actually put on there, so, uh, please, by all means, if anyone, uh, wants to comment on if they enjoyed that, or if, uh, that was just the, uh, dumbest, uh, two minutes that they want to take back, by all means, let me know, um, but anyway, uh, today, as if you uh, tried to heard, of course, on the Morningstar Journal, we're actually going to get back into book reviews, and I'm going to actually go back to a book series, the um, Codex Hilaria series, and by Jim Butcher. And the two books, of course, we're going to continue the series with books three and four. Uh, book three, of course, the Cursor's Fury, and book four. Uh, Captain's Fury. So I'm going to break down um, the first two books. I'm going to go over the the entire plot of the, at least the first two books, and then I'll talk a little bit about the next the, the next two books. Um, so for for just just so like anyone anyone listening know, there will be spoilers in this book. Now um, I've read them multiple times and. Um, I've really enjoyed them and there are certain plot things that there's like a background plot that happens throughout all the books. There's uh, little story threads and revelations that happen that are slow reveal and by the fourth book a lot of it is known. A, a lot of uh, major things are known about who certain people are. and but there, But where... At what point they realize and at what point they confront certain characters, um, I may get them a little bit confused, um, but hopefully I should get them soon. And I've um, actually also started reading, or at least um, starting to 
hunker down and read in more of Hurtling Towards a Home, A Story of Hope. And that one is by my friend uh, David Calvert of um, Car Thoughts with David. And um, hopefully I'll have a review of that one soon. And I'll say, at least my preliminary one is, I like it. There's certain things in the story that, um, that I personally don't care for, uh, just because of how things are going out. But at the same time, I'm so... Uh, early into the book that I don't want to say my full thoughts because it's stupid to give your full thoughts of a movie if the only thing you've seen is the first 10 minutes or a TV show if the only thing you've watched is half of the first season and there's like three seasons. So I kind of see this as um, I'm still getting through, before I can review uh, David's season one book, I have to go through season one. Um, so there's just little things. And like I said, I'll, I'll wait till I finish the book, but I haven't, I have been enjoying it. And, um, whenever I have chance, I do, I do take time to read it because it is a fun read. There's just little things within the story that I'm not caring for too much. Um, but like I said, I'll wait till I finish the book fully before I really go into any details on it. But, a book series that I have read a whole lot about is the Codex Lara series. So before we get into books three and four, I'm going to give a brief kind of rundown of the first two books. So the first book, oh, and I guess a brief thing on the whole series in general. So um, Codex Lara takes place on this, uh, what they think is this continent called um, Karna. And the main continent is Alira. And on Alira is um, pretty much what they call Lyrans, which are the, the hum- pretty much humans. And they follow a Roman um, hierarchy, basically. Uh, they also have access to a thing called Furies, which are an elemental force that a lot of people are able to control. Uh, of course, those elements are wind, fire, water, earth, um, metal wood make sure i have that right yeah it's six of them okay Uh, yeah earth water air fire metal and wood and everyone in lyric can at least hone one um some people can hone more than one and usually the more like uh what they call high lords and especially the first lord the pretty much emperor of the land can control um, multiple ones uh first lord in this case can control all of them in a sense um Another race that we have is the Merits, who are also humanoid, but they're pale-skinned, and they're more or less a nomadic tribe. And then um, there's another race called the Canum, who are pretty much werewolves. Uh, but they, but the Canum, oh sorry, the Merit can access only ones who can access Furies are Lyra, are the Lyrans. Uh The Merit can't access Furies, but they have a um, ability, a different ability where uh, their tribes are based off of different animals and they have a kind of symbiotic relationship with that animal. Uh, during their trials they have, um, they eat this fruit that is able to um, basically communicate an animal and they gain 
insights as well as strength. So one of the main characters, uh, Durago, who I'll definitely be talking about because he shows up uh, multiple times throughout the series. Um, he's the leader and he commands something that's a gargant, which is kind of this uh, large, very strong creature. Um, I guess like a, like a, it sounds like it's like a rhino type kind of creature or if you're um if you're a warcraft fan um i'm i always picture something on the lines of like the uh kudos if they were that's right it's like the large things the torrens run if you're a warcraft fan um but anyway um they kind of gain this kind of symbiotic relationship with these with their animals so they're able to communicate with them but also they gain a little bit of their strength so like he gets a little bit of extra strength because of his um animal that's the animal of his tribe there's some that use horses and they're a lot faster when they if they if they have to run on land and things like that so that's their thing then you have the canum who are the werewolf type creatures they kind of live on a far off land called Canem, and um, they do have an ambassador in, um, they do have an ambassador in the Alarans world uh, called Varg, I believe, Um, hopefully I didn't get those names wrong, but um, they do have an ambassador, and they're um, regular warrior race, and they have what's called, they use kind of like blood magic. Now, most of the time they do use, most of the older kingdom, of course, will use their own blood for magic, but some of the new ones will use the blood of others. But with that blood magic, they can do a lot of crazy stuff, like uh, lightning bolts or um, noxious clouds or um, just other just magic in general. Basically, um, if you want to put, blood is kind of like the um, catalyst in a sense, and then they have spells to do a lot of different things. Uh, so that's the basic of, you know, the types of people. There's also a, a tribe called the Icemen who live up north. Um, don't, we don't really have to worry about them too much because they don't show up, or at least we don't see them until, uh, the, the next to last book. Um, they're usually in the background for the most part, but, um, for, uh, cause definitely, um, we can get on and on about a lot of this. Let me go over this series. So, the first book, which was Furies of Calderon, basically we follow Tavi, a young boy in Calderon Valley, and it's kind of a small, um, kind of farming village in a sense, uh, or Steedholt as they call it, um, a little bit on the outskirts, kind of close to the Merit land, and... Um, Tavi is interesting because he's a is a scrawny young he's a scrawny young kid who has no access to furies, and as far as you know, he's the only one in all of the lair that does this. Everyone from everyone of age, I think the age of, they say I think the age of like ten or twelve, um, has is able to use a fury of some sort, whether it be something really small to, like I said, the grander ones, like the High Lords. Tavi is the only one who can't use any. And no one can figure out why, but for whatever reason, he can't use any Furies. And he's grown up, basically, 
his his um uncle Bernard has you know kind of shown him you know you don't need furies to be you know a good person or be capable and he's taught him how to manage without them like how to um combat people who have them or you know kind of you know protect himself from people who have them and to fight off wild furies because that is another thing in this world is that there are well the furies are more like it's not like um uh, let's say Avatar Last Airbender, where it's just abilities, they're also creatures in a sense, or almost spirits that can be called and used. Um, a little bit like Pokemon in a sense, because they're like all over the place. So there are wild ones out there, and he is able to, you know, use his own like regular physical abilities to combat these things anyway. So the main story of the first one is there's unrest between um, the people in Conron Valley and the Merit. Um, tribes as the mayor are trying to attack Calderon Valley, which would lead into the rest of Alaria as well. Now, these attacks are actually being orchestrated by a High Lord Augustine and or Augustine, I'm not sure. And I'm gonna get a lot of these names really weirdly mixed up, so expect that. Anyway, um, he believes that. The first lord is weak, and he's allowing a lot of things to... He's allowing the inner turmoil, because there's a lot of inner infighting in Alaria that kind of is very subtle and in the background, but um, Augustine is... Uh, or Augustine, whatever. I'm, eventually, I'll pick one to say. But anyway, he feels um, that... Or a Quentin, sorry. See, I'm getting... A, it's a Quentin. Let's, you know what? I've been saying it so many different times. Let's, I think it's Augustine Quentin. That's what it, that's what it should be. Anyway. Um, but anyway, he feels that it's becoming, um, it's becoming so turmoil that somebody needs to, inter somebody needs to intercede. Somebody needs to do something. And the first Lord isn't doing anything. So he's like, you know what? Let me do it. But what I'll do is I'll try to, um, weaken Gaius, uh, that's the uh, Gaius Sextus, who's the first lord. I'm going to weaken his position by getting this turmoil started. And Tavi, unfortunately, is just caught up in the middle of it, only knowing a little bit of this. Now, as he, as um, Augustus has sent his minions, which include Vindelius, who was a spy for Gaius, who was a spy for the ruling lord, but he decides that the rule, the um, that first lord is also, he kind of sides with him. He's like, yeah, first lord is weak, and I'm going to, you know, kind of side with you to um, hopefully get this going. And he helps kind of sow this discontent, and that's causing the merit to want to, attack the lands. Now, Tavi, kind of on the run, ends up in the Merit, like in most Merit stronghold, and faces with Durago. And Durago is, is most or less, is, is a leader of one of the biggest clans, and he doesn't want the fight in either. But a lot, but there's been a lot of this turmoil building up, and he doesn't know any other way to kind of quell it. So Tavi gets the idea, well, okay, you have this kind of ritual thing um, that happens. If I do this, it shows you that we are, you know, these good people. We don't want this fight. We're actually one in peace, and there's something else going on. So if I do this, if I can go through this ritual, you know, will you at least hear us out? And Drago agrees, but 
there's somebody else who's also going to be going on his own um, his own uh, daughter, Kitia. And so Tavi and Kitia go on this um, quick journey where they end up fighting these uh, strange creatures and to get this um, uh, mushroom, basically. But during the struggle, Kitia gets hurt. And rather than bring the mushroom back, which will prove, you know, he did his case, he shares it with her to save her life. Because it is, it has these regenerative abilities. And she saves, he saves her. And this is actually, this is almost like toward the end of the contest. And Dorago sees this and decides to hear, hear Tavi out. And they don't attack the major stronghold where his uh, friends and family are. Um, but there is a merit group that's kind of on the, uh, basically commanded by a more, um, you know, feral group who's actually in with Fidelius and the rest of them and also wants to conflict, and he does attack. Now, on the other side, you have, like I said, Tavi's uncle Bernard, and then also uh, Bernard's sister, a.k.a. Tavi's aunt, and I say that with quotes because you'll find out later, Asana. And they've been trying to rally the people to kind of prepare for attack, not to attack the merit, but at least to defend themselves. Um, and also there's a brief um, interchange where she's kidnapped by a, another kind of evil uh, group, Concord. Um, and she manages to get out of that. But all in all, they're able to um, get back. Oh, uh, it is a Quentin. So um, they're able to fight back the kind of rogue merit group while... Um, being able to talk to Durago and get him to kind of sit down with peace talks so everything is calm in the valley again. Um, there is a kind of cool interchange where the First Lord does come in and Asana is very, um, let's say, trepidatious with the First Lord. And he makes a note of Tavi, kind of saying that you've done well for somebody without... Um, uh, uh, without furies, but Asana really doesn't want anything to do with him. She really wants him to go away. And you're kind of wondering, okay, what's all this about? And uh, there's a there's a quick exchange with uh, where Durago, I, I believe, almost threatens the First Lord because he's like, yeah, you better you know, um, you better thank this kid for what he did. And you better treat them right, or you're going to be heard from me. And everyone is just like, "What is wrong with this dude?" And because Durago is one of those guys that you find out throughout the thing, he takes no BS from anyone. He kind of says what's on his mind, and that's what's kind of cool about this character. And because he's not part of the Illyrian hierarchy and structure, he really doesn't kind of like get like all the little politics they play. He doesn't go into it. Um, so that's the, so that's, um, so that's kind of in the book one. Oh, and Tavi decides that he wants to go to the academy so he can kind of, um, you know, learn in the university and eventually become a soldier and things like that. Get a basic education. So we jump into book two, which is... 
So I have to remember these. Academ's Fury. So in Academ's Fury, uh, it's a few years later. And Tavi is now um, about, it's been about three, it's about three years. And he's working as kind of a courier for the First Lord. But at the same time, he's also secretly training to be a cursor. Uh, now, I forgot to talk about this on the other character. There was another character called Amara, who initially is the one that comes into the valley and warns everybody of the impending um, turmoil and invasion. And she's also a cursor, which are spies, basically, for the First Lord. Uh, she eventually, like, fall or uh, she strikes a relationship with Bernard, Tavi's uncle, and they pretty much stay together throughout most of the series. So in the second book, Tavi is learning to be one of these cursors to eventually be a spy. But secretly, he's at the university just getting a basic education. And we meet a couple of his friends, Max and Aaron, who are also kind of doing the same training. Uh, there's a cool little... Um, sequence where they're at their kind of um, secret cursor training and they're taking a moment to um, learn different fighting styles and um, they're fighting he uh, he gets beat by Aaron and uh, Max and uh, there's another girl that's there and I'm trying to remember the name but um, he gets beat by these people and then when they leave because you know the teacher um, told them to, to, you know, said, okay, y'all can go to lunch. I've got to speak with Tavi by himself. He actually threw the fight. <laughs> and he threw the fight so that they would learn um, the lessons that they've been, they've been, that he's been trying to teach them. So it was a cool little sequence where um, kind of like showing that Tavi has actually grown um, to be a pretty uh, powerful person, not powerful, but like at least very capable person, um, still without any furies. So he still is unable to, uh, you know, craft any furies, but, um, Max and Aaron and the other, they don't, um, see that as a problem with him. Uh, they treat him as an equal and, um, he also sees them as equals. But anyway, the main part of the second book is that, is that, as is he, is he saying in the First Lord, um, he starts hearing these whispers of um, possible dissent. And the First Lord is also not feeling very well. Um, and then at <clears throat> a certain point, he goes to uh, Varg, who is the Canaan ambassador. And he finds out that um, Canem has also noticed the unrest and may be trying to um, use that opportunity to um, get a foothold in Alera because there's even though Varg is an ambassador to Alera, there's still a major conflict between the Canem and the Alerans. Um, so there's a lot of political things going on in the uh, capital, along with a. There's also a small subplot of a thief that's been um, stealing things here and there, and Tavi eventually has to deal with that. Jump back to Calderon Valley, where it's actually grown, because now there's actually a uh, peace talks between the Merit and uh, the Valley, and they've actually grown the Steedholt to be a better stronghold. But Durago comes and says, you know, 
Um, we had Tavi and uh, my daughter Kitty go through this um, uh, uh, this um, trial, and they battled a creature, but I don't think the creature died, and it may have gotten out because there was a tribe um, farther away that we haven't heard from in a while. And Bernard kind of noticed, yeah, we've been having trouble. We haven't heard from another group of said Holt kind of close by. So Durago, Bernard, Amara, along with a, you know, quick, uh, you know, a battalion of troops go to the seed Holt to find out what's going on. And this is where we meet um, a creature race called the Vord. And the Vord are basically your, if you play video games, they're your stereotypical kind of like swarm type um, bug army in a sense. Um, they're kind of these insectoid-like creatures. They're led by one being, one, um, uh, one queen in a sense. And they have this kind of hive mind. But worse than that, is that they have smaller ones that are able to get into basically get into people and almost Resident Evil style kill them and control them. Uh, <clears throat> and what happens a little bit later in that same book is not only are they able to control them, but um, after a little bit of experimentation, they can actually control their furies. At first, they can only control the person, kind of like, you know, like I said, Resident Evil style. They just attack and they have no uh, concept of their, um, you know, being. So you have to really like hack at them badly before they're down for the count. But worst off is that they're that later when you use a fury against them, they're able to use that person's furies. Um, so with that going on, Asana, who had already let, who already heard about the, this was before they went, they went out and searched for these things. When she first heard, she uh, decides to go to, or she doesn't decide, Bernard convinces her to go to the capital to get aid um, because they feel that this is a, this is a threat that's going to become big. He's already looking into the future and pretty much prophesies what happens later in the book where this threat becomes major and he wants to be able to take it out now. And Durango tells him, hey, we had a legend where this kind of thing did happen. We were only able to confine it to a small area in this one place, but somehow it's now gotten out. And he's like, you know, it almost destroyed us before, before we, and we had to move. And Bernard's kind of taking this into fact because he's become, him and Drago has become friends. And they're like, you know, if he says they barely able to fight this, we need to just kill it now. So Asana is actually trying to head towards the capital as well to try to get aid and convince them, hey, you need to start sending troops and stuff to handle this. Um, I'm trying to wrap this up. So... The thief that's in the capital that Tavi's facing is actually Kitty of all place, all people. She actually decided to come to the capital and follow him. And she's been making a living just kind of being a thief and just uh, taking what she will and um, just having a grand old time. And she's actually started to learn how to talk a Laren and, um, and uh, 
she feels a connection with him and he actually feels a connection with her. Um, so they, so once he finds out who it is, they team up and they decide to, uh, you know, try to figure out this whole internal plot against the king. And they do find a, a small force of Canaan who are going to try to kill him. And at this point, the first Lord is capacity. He's sick. He's on death's bed. And Tavi and Kitia basically go to, to his aid and fight off these Canaan. Now, unfortunately, what's also happening is the Canaan aren't alone. It turns out that there were actually two beings that left. Um, one that left when Tavi and Kitia did the trial. One was in the valley, and that's being fought by Bernard as at this time. But another one actually went to the capital. And so these Canaan aren't exactly Canaan. They're also being aided by the Vord. Now, we don't see the queen at this at, at, in the capital one. She's actually snuck off later. And um, but we do know that the Vord helped control because the Canaan are fighting uh, more aggressively than normal. But Tavi is able to hold them back. So in the end of the second book, basically, they are able to hold him back. The king, uh, the first lord, uh, eventually does recover and realizes everything that Tavi did. Bernard and his group in Cat Valley uh, are are eventually aided by, believe it or not, a Quentin. Yeah, the same guy who orchestrated the attack in the first book helps them fight the Vord in the second. Now, this was because Asana, who initially tried to go to the First Lord for help, is ambushed and attacked. And it's Nvidia, a Quentin's uh, wife, who comes to Asana's aid. And Asana really has no love for the First Lord. And we're, and we're noticing that even though she's carrying a ring, which is normally only given to um, High Lords... She actually has one, and it bears a very similar resemblance to the precepts ring, the um, the first lord's son who was killed a long time ago. And but when she's attacked and no one's there, and it's Nvidia who comes and aids her, and Nvidia kind of in a strategic move, she. Um, she basically convinces a Quentin to send forces to help Bernard and them. And they do. And there's a um, quick exchange. It's like the same mercenary group that attacked them in the first book is now helping them in this book. Um, so there's like a quick exchange there. And, but they actually beat the, they beat the Vord and as well as kill the queen there. Um, so the Calvin Valley is saved, but um, in the capital, um, the queen there manages to escape. So as the book ends, um, Max and uh, sorry, Tavi and all his friends are together. Asana's actually come up and First Lord is speaking with his captain. He's like, you know, Tavi's kind of grown and become a very capable warrior. And he does remind me of somebody. But I can't say anything yet because he doesn't have 
any furies. And if he's who I think he is, then announcing that and him not having furies would make things worse. So now that we went over the first two books, let's go over the next one, which, like I said, is Cursor's Fury. Uh, now, since I'm already at 30 minutes, um, I might just, just do the third book, and I'll save the fourth book for either um, maybe another bonus episode like I did last time, or it might be next week. But, so a quick look at the... Fourth book at the back of the fourth book reads When the power hungry high lord of Kal- of Kaler launches a merciless rebellion against the first lord, young Tavi of Calderon joins a newly formed legion under assumed name. And when this ruthless Kaler uh, sorry, allies himself with the savage enemy of the realm, Tavi finds himself leading an inexperienced poorly equipped legion the only force standing between Alara and certain doom so the main plot of this book is is that kind of like a saying so initially uh it's been another couple years and um so it's been almost like five years or so in total since the first book and tavi has grown older but he's also grown um stronger He's even as it, it it mentions that in the second book he's maybe he's maybe just a little bit shorter than Maximus, who's um, kind of described as this kind of big, almost like if you want to think like a kind of football player type kind of you know big guy or just jock type of character, athletic character. Taffy's actually grown to his height, um, maybe not to his muscu um, like to his, as far as muscular size, but he's actually grown a little bit taller and kind of. It's been kind of strange. They're wondering, like, why did Tavi grow so much in such a short time? But they kind of figured, oh, maybe it's just the training and the Legion food, you know, kind of, you know, getting them off of that uh, uh, village life, you know, this uh, strict, like, uh, soldier's life. You know, that's what's kind of causing this uh, kind of uh, growth. But anyway, as is, um, as is often as a cursor for the king um he's tasked to be part of this legion and the first lord actually wants him because we find out that the first lord suspects that tavi may actually be the son of his uh of uh, son of his son the um uh precepts um Septus, uh, but he's but it's unconfirmed yet. There's a lot of similarities that the first lord has been seeing now, and he wanted to give him kind of a moment to be away from all the political stuff because again, there's still like a lot of unrest going, and if he outs him, then he'll be a target. One of the things that in the book they describe in the book series they describe is. Part of the civil arrest was the fact that the first lord didn't have an heir. And he was an old man. And he was becoming an old man. Now, he did take a second wife. His initial wife uh, died a long time ago. So he did have a new wife, but he was never able to produce a new heir. 
and his previous heir, Sept, uh, Septimus, um, who everyone loved and was a great fighter and everything else, he was killed before the events of the first book um, near Calderon Valley, of all places, and because that's where his uh, monument was. Um, and then ever since that death, uh, probably Gaius um, just really just, you know, was down and just wanted to try to control the kingdoms as much as he could until he can figure something out. And when Tavi comes along in book one and then in book two while he's working for him, he starts he starts to notice um, things that remind him of Septimus as far as how he looks, how he talks, how smart he is, how um, adept he is. And <clears throat> growing older, he's noticing more and more. Same thing with his advisor, I believe his name is uh, Marcus, who's the um, First Lord's advisor, who was a guard for Septimus before. He's also noticing that Tavi does bear a lot of resemblance and he may actually be it. But the, but the problem still is that he can't access Furies. And that's going to be a major thing. Not only will that be um, hard for him to, uh, you know, be in command of the, of, you know, the entire country who can command Furies, but also it paints a target on him for all of his enemies that he'll be defense, or at least he'll be perceived as defenseless. But of course, you know, Tavi, even without Furies, he's still a capable guy. It's like saying, oh, Batman's defenseless because he has no powers. A lot of people make, <laughs> only make that mistake once. Um, so in this book, he actually sends Tavi kind of to be away from everything while he tries to not only figure out what to do with Tavi, but also what he's going to do with all these um, kind of um, <clears throat> turmoils that are coming up. But one thing that happened, but then, um, and he sends him to this um, legion to take care of, and it's kind of like this out-of-the-way legion in this kind of remote area. There's nothing else going on there. Also, the legion is kind of full of like rejects and scrubs, he gives him a false identity. Um, Tavi is able to kind of fake things, like as far as creating fire, and um, you know, he's able to uh, mimic the use of fury so that people don't ask too many questions. Basically, um, we also get to meet um, his friend Maximus. We also meet uh, Maximus's brother, and if I can find his name. Crassus, um, who's kind of like a um, slightly younger brother of uh, Maximus. And um, as they're kind of, you know, doing their thing, um, or he's like kind of, you know, he's just kind of being with the Legion, they notice that the sky actually turns red. Like the entire sky, the entire sky turns red. And this also happens while Asana, Bernard, and Amara, they're actually at a um, gathering, I believe, in... 
I'm going to go to the map. And another nice thing about these books, they give you a kind of cool map of the entire land. So it kind of gives you a um, place on where they are. They actually are in, I believe it's Cirrus. Uh, yeah, I believe they're actually in Cirrus. They're a place called Cirrus. And what's happening there is um, there, there's like a kind of convention because remember this is they all live by Roman rules so there are things like um, slaves that are still being used and Isana has been um, kind of been put on this forefront of trying to abolish that practice altogether um one of the things that's helped is the fact that she after the first book she was actually promoted from just the regular um she was she was given a basically because of her help uh, at the end of the first book she was given this title and made the head of the hold now that was a big deal because most women didn't get at least in the book didn't get that head without either having to marry into it or by let's say less savory means of either murder or other things trying to get you know trying to head up but she was actually awarded this for um for her action for her you know for honorable actions and it's kind of seen as this you know change in times in a sense so she's become this figurehead and she also you know is boss the whole slavery bit she doesn't you know care for it she didn't have slaves in her hold and so she kind of feels oh yeah this is fine like you know to promote this and they're having this convention at series about this um about these talks also bernard is taking a moment to um and asana is kind of cool with this as well to take a moment to warn people hey we still have this problem with the Vord. There was one that there's one that got away, but we need assistance to wipe this thing, wipe these things out. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't believe him. And when he tells them, "Hey, you know, the merit—they've had to deal with this before. They treat the merit as oh, these barbarians. You, you really want to take the word of these, of these, <laughs> of you know, these things that we've been fighting in almost things." And Bernard pretty much like it's really upset by this um <clears throat> so that's kind of like pull him back but anyway um when the sky turns red however the high lord of kalar decides to put his plan into action and he ends up attacking the um, entire convention and he hurts um Asana's, I'll say servant right now, and I'll get into it, named Fade, um, as well as he's kidnapped um, Ceres' princess, as well as another um, High Lord, another High Lord that he's also taken, um, his forces have taken. So Bernard, Amara, and a couple other people actually um, dealt with Rook. That was the... Um, friend, of course, of uh, Tavi, uh, the the female friend of Tavi. Um, it turns out Rook was an actual uh, 
double was a double agent for Kilar. And she tells him, yeah, they, he's taking them back to his stronghold. So you're going to have to go to him to actually get them back. Um, but when the sky turns red, though, that was actually a signal because of the Canem, the werewolf group. They actually, and I say werewolf, they don't turn into humans or anything like that. They're just the wolf creatures. But werewolf is the closest thing. I guess wolf creatures. But the Canem, they actually strike their attack near the coast. And unfortunately, the only legion there to stop them is Tavi's. So Tavi has, and then at, at another point, while at a meeting, as Tavi's about to leave the meeting, a red lightning bolt strikes the command tent and pretty much kills everyone and hurts the commanding officer except for Tavi. And his alias was basically something like seventh in line and he just became the new leader of this small legion. Um, and basically what happens after that point is he commands this, he's able to shape up and command this legion and is able to fight back this Canaan force um, with a lot of surprises where, because he realizes that there was another spy in their group and he realizes like a red um, uh, dagger that that spy had. I'm trying to leave out too many spoilers on this. But anyway, um, he actually gets a hold of it and he kind of guessed that since they were near the command tent, it may protect him. And there's a kind of a cool moment where he faces off with the uh, Canem sorcerer who's behind the attack. And the sorcerer's kind of like, yeah, okay, I've, I've had enough of this. And sends the same lightning bolt that hit Tavi. And when the dust clears, he's still standing there and he ends up stabbing him in the head, stabbing the Canem in the head. And then like rushes off back to his base. And everyone is just like, holy shit, he took a lightning bolt to the face and it didn't phase this guy. So he's kind of like building his legend in a sense. And you definitely see that in the next books. But um, it's really cool. Um, in the end, they kind of, they don't, they don't push back the kingdom completely. It just kind of, they just hold them off and they prevent them from um, expanding any further. But unfortunately, they've made landfall. Um, also, on the other side in series, uh, the strike force with uh, uh, Bernard and Amara, they actually end up going to Klar and rescuing the captives. Um, not only do they rescue the captives, but you find out that Rook was only a spy because they had her daughter. And they actually rescue the daughter. Unfortunately, Rook has to to make sure that they get away. I believe she actually ends up be, having to be left behind. Um, that's kind of unclear because a little bit later, in the later books, Rook is actually already is still with them and something happens to her. So I can't remember if she's left at that point. But anyway, they do rescue, at the very least, they do rescue Rook's daughter and Amara and Bernard who have been trying to, um, and there's like, a, there's a thing where um, since they've been together, they've been trying to have a child and they decide to take Rook's child in and um, raise her as their own. 
And I think they do that because Rook had to stay behind. Uh, but Rook tells the tells her daughter that, hey, these are good people and they're going to protect you, get you away. Um, so I summed up a lot of this book real fast. Definitely apologize about it because I definitely will take more time for fourth book because I really enjoy this series. Um, in this third book, we learn a lot about Tavi's just capabilities and his ability just to adapt. And we start seeing that he is getting bigger and he's getting stronger. Um, there is also, and I forgot about this, and I will say this just to make sure. Let's see. And dun, dun, dun. So, in this book, of course, um, like I said, in the second book, Kitia kind of, she shows up as this kind of thief, but then stays by um, Tavi's side throughout the rest of the second book. In this one, she actually infiltrates the camp as one of the followers at first. And then later, once um, once he starts having to, once the whole Kanem threat comes into play, <clears throat> she actually um, comes with a few merit um, soldiers with her, or merit warriors with her, and they act as kind of like his um, spies, basically, to kind of get positions and also help out the Alarian soldiers. Um, and they pretty much stay together. And I like it that they're they're partners in a sense. It's not like she's just some love interest. She's a warrior in some, in a lot of cases better than him in, in quite a few instances. Uh, but they still like really care and love each other. They support each other. So in the end of the book, um, they're together. They're together in. Uh, it's been five years since he's kind of been away from home, since he's really seen most of his folks. And he's writing his report, um, you know, about, you know, facing off because the, 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 now the, the force that he's facing is led by a canem called Nasog, who I believe he figures out is actually Varg's, I can't remember this book or later book, he figures out is Varg's son, basically. And he's like, this guy isn't an idiot. Like, the the first guy I had to fight, the sorcerer, yeah, he was a stooge, and he was kind of in line with him. But Nasog, nah, he's, he's actually smart, and it's going to take more than a few good tricks to actually beat him. And... And there's a moment where, you know, he's, you know, he's talking to her and he's not, and for a lot of time he was always, in the first book, he was very, he was very bitter and upset about the fact, in the first two books, he was kind of upset for the fact that he couldn't do Furies, like it, it was a constant torment for him and um, a lot of people made fun of him because of it, but in he eventually learned how to work past it. But in the course of this book, he really became on his own and realized that he didn't need it to get what's done. And really, even with Furies, it didn't save a lot of other people that got killed around him. 
So he had to work on his wits alone. And, you know, for the first time he realizes, hey, you know what? You know, it's not bad. And she actually makes a note saying you're not bitter. He's like, no. I was like, you know, I've had to kind of like get through this. And, you know, I kind of have to just let that, you know, go and just get to living. And they embrace each other at this point. And she's, you know, impressed. Hey, you know, you're actually... um, you know, you're actually uh, forging your own wisdom. And she says, there may be hope for you yet. Um, and then later that night, uh, after that night, of course, um, let's see, get to it. Yeah, she mentions that, yeah, I have a merit force here. And, you know, and they're going to help out. And he was like, okay, that's cool. And it's kind of the middle of the night, and he has to turn on the light. And all of a sudden, he looks at the fury lamp, and he's able to turn it on. And so the fury lamps work on the... It's kind of weird how they say it. It's kind of like the fury lamps, it seems like that's like basic, almost basic magic. Like, you don't have to have a particular fury skill, but you just have to have the ability to use any kind of fury to be able to activate the lamps yeah that part is kind of weird but anyway um he's able to turn it on so he's able to use a fury and he's actually excited by this and it wakes up kitchen he's like what are you going on about and he turns the lamp like on and off several times and she's he's like i have furies i have the ability of furies and she looks at him and looks at the lamp and she's like, and let me see if I see. I want to say this right because it's it's actually pretty hilarious and pretty monumental because it's um, okay. Let's see. Yeah, so he's turning on and off, and he's like, "Yes, yes, Alaren." She always calls him Alaren. Uh, Alaren, I saw, and he's like, "On," and he turns it like on. And she just kind of scowls at him. He's like, what? She's like, all this time, you're moping around, sad about it. Sure, it was so awful for this. And he's like, well, yes, off. And he turns it off. And she's like, typical. She starts getting her clothes. He's like, what do you mean, on? He turns it back on. And when it came up again, she stood before him. And nearly exploded for what he wanted. What he wanted as far as the love and triumph that he felt. What I mean, Laren, is that all this time you were acting as if there was some kind of monumental task when it's so simple. And she turns her head and then she goes off. And the lamp turns off. And before um, Tavi can realize the shock, he, she actually uh, tackles him and they fall in the bed together. Now... This is monumental because no merit has ever been able to use Furies, period. And Kitia was able to do it. So this plays into the next book. And I believe they figure, they kind of figure out a timeline because the mushroom that that he gave her back in the first book is normally used in connection with the merits in their animal spirit, in their animals. But Tavi decided to give it to her, which in a sense 
made a connection between the two. And not only did they feel this connection as far as their, you know, feelings for each other, love for each other, but potentially his his innate ability to use Furies also imprinted onto her. So she's able to use Furies along with him. Now, there is actually a reason why his Furies actually did come into play. Um, there's a reason why, especially since he's been away from home for five years, and Asana knows the truth. And I believe in this book, it's actually, it's strongly hinted at the fact that she is much more powerful in watercraft than, than anyone's given credit for. At an earlier part of this book, her friend Fade, and I'll actually talk about Fade in, uh, on the next episode, when he gets hurt with a poison that normally would kill anyone, it, it's, it's pretty much had a 100% kill rate, she was able to use watercrafting to an extent to save his life. Almost at the... the almost at the benefit of like killing her, but she was actually able to save him. And that's a feat that no one's been able to do. And during this time, you actually find out who Fade really is and his connection to Asana, as well as her real connection to Tavi. But unfortunately, I'm getting uh, to time now and we'll have to talk about that next time. So, um, again, what I might do is actually do another bonus episode like I did last time and maybe either, uh, Sunday or one day this week, I'll actually do, uh, just on book four. I won't be do a review or I won't talk about the previous book, but we'll just jump into book four because a lot of things happen and it kind of is a bridge point to the last two books. And I don't want to combine four and five because I think four uh, leaves off at a certain point where that's a good place to uh, stop. So again, thank anyone who's everyone who's listening. I hope that you've enjoyed my uh, little intro as well as me talking about this book series. Like I said, if you have a chance, please pick it up. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's a great series. Um, full of adventure, um, intrigue. And like I said, there's like little plot threads that uh, play throughout the entire series. That's amazing. But definitely pick it up. I think you'll enjoy it. Thank you for listening, and I hope everyone has a great week. Peace.